You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni from Yerushalayim, Ir HaKadosh. We are still technically in Chodesh Tishrei. Um, Dr. Juni, it's been a while. I will tell you that I was uh, frustrated uh, when I, and, and, and a little, I guess, bemused and surprised when I uh, saw that my daughter was working so hard to figure out how she can take days off for Yontif. Um She had realized that the uh, outfit that she works for, a very wonderful animal hospital here in, uh, in New Jersey, uh, only gave very few vacation days or days that she could possibly take off. Uh, most of them she had to use for the Jewish holidays, and she uh, neglected to tell them about Simchas Teira, uh that day off. I think she mentioned that she couldn't work, and this was causing a complete uh, uh, a crisis. How was she going to get this day? She needs to call someone. And here she was, a very moderate uh, wage earner, struggling in a, in a job that she basically loves, but with a system that does not afford vacation days, uh, a system in the United States that clearly uh, th- there is no mandate as it is in Europe uh, since uh, post, uh, you know, even before World War II, uh, actually right post World War I, uh, Europe started to change. So in Europe, someone like my daughter would automatically get 20, 30 days, maybe 35 days, depending where, paid vacation leave. Whereas here in the United States, young people like her um, don't get those vacation days. And if you're an Orthodox Jew, like we are, and <laughs> those days need to be used for the various holidays, which uh, the employers sometimes don't understand, it turns into a tension uh, that you know, I, I think is exacerbated uh, throughout the system, which is Americans work hard. They don't have time off. People in Europe, including, I guess, in Eretz as well, uh, which sometimes took the European model, there's a, a much greater emphasis on vacation time. And... Um, you know, studies, I don't know how scientific they are, how accurate they are, but there is a consistent drumbeat that you hear that despite the fact that Americans work so much harder, in a sense, because they don't have the vacation time, the Europeans end up being more productive um, in, in based on the economic numbers, that despite that they are on vacation, they work better when they come back um, and there are health benefits supposedly uh, uh, connected to taking vacations. I know we all feel good when sometimes when we're on vacation, sometimes we need a vacation when we come back. But but there's something else, uh, Dr. Juni, which is the idea that if you can take time off and you believe and you feel that the place you're working for gives you that allowance, you're actually more loyal to them and more committed. You actually work harder when the thing that you're part of understands your personal needs and recognizes that. And therefore, in Europe and other places where companies are forced to give vacations to take that time off, people are actually more... So let me just start with the theoretical um, issue that I feel is at the crux of all this, and that's the notion of 
how does work fit in to people's lives from the theoretical point of view. So I can tell you that the, the which had its heyday really in the early 1900s um, by Donald Super, and his basic idea was that work is an intrinsic part of human existence and human self-validation. And for somebody not to work is basically something that will destroy their inner self and their self-respect. And of course, you see that. You see people who are quite successful and they keep working and derisively in my culture to say, oh, they're only after money. They're only after power. That wasn't the idea of vocational psychology as it was practiced. Um, well, it's still, I mean, it still is a major force. It's become supplanted or, or absorbed by counseling psychology. But the notion is still that work is an important aspect of both your social life, your, your intrapersonal life, in other words, your subjective life, and without that, you don't function. Okay, so now we're talking about breaks in work. What does that do? So again, the, the main question here is, is work a necessary evil or something we have to do? Or is it something that's really part of ourselves, And that will inform whether taking off is good or bad. And even when you have the yardstick of how productive are you, is productivity meaningful at all? Or is that just some way of smoothing over this stuff and saying, okay, at least I'm not wasting my time. I remember some Harvard stories of torture during the Second World War and some of the um, uh, prisoners, what they complained about is they would make them do stuff and then destroy it and do it again. It's almost like they would have been very happy laying those rails, even though those rails were the ones who helped bring more people to get killed in Auschwitz, but they've done something. But the fact that you make me schlep something up and schlep it down, that's useless. So I, that's where I see the question coming up over here. The practical issue in terms of empirically does uh, taking uh, uh, Let me interrupt you just for a second, since you... Yeah. You got all rabbinic, and uh, again, uh, according to the Medrash, this was part of our torture that we went through as, quote-unquote, slaves before God decided to give us a purpose in life. And uh, so I think this dovetails with what you're saying. The part of our religious um, experience and what we're supposed to get out of it, of our the whole panorama of our life, is to be productive and is to see things uh, in a way that we actually make a difference and our work validates who we are as persons, not the way we were. As but, but you see, what I raise about this, is this really a basic aspect of human existence or is just some kind of, shall we say, rationalization or making peace with something necessary that we have to do? Wouldn't I like to sit all day in my undershirt where, with a mug of beer watching the Three Stooges? Or do I really feel that I should be getting up seven in the morning, putting on my white coat, going and dealing with people with problems with insurance, with people going crazy on me and then coming back? I mean, is that necessary? Okay, let me just mention, I wanted just to finish my thoughts because I have a fleeting attention span. Um, in terms of the efficacy of taking time off, there are studies around. I have to say most of the studies that are out there are not so legitimate. There are some studies by the ABA and... Um, Best I can tell is that um, there is evidence that um, health-wise, you're much better off by taking breaks. I mean, you live longer, you sleep better, you're actually more productive if that's something that you want to be. But basically, that the um, um, effects of vacation in terms of feeling good about yourself are usually fleeting. They last for a very little while. After about a week or two, there is no zecher, there's no memory left 
of any kind of enhancement of self-esteem or feeling good about yourself. So I just yeah, want to say that empirically. You're right. It, right. It, it, it actually, and I think some of these studies reveal the, which is not such a big paradox if you think about it, that when even when employers give and are generous in their vacation time, in some situations you actually feel, oh, do I have to go back to work? This is what the vacation time actually uh, dangles in front of you, the dreariness of going back. And and, and I, think, I, I if I remember correctly, I think it's over fifty percent of people actually dread going back to work after vacation, especially since because they've been given some freedom. And maybe this is in contradistinction to Donald Super's theory, they saw what life is really all about rather than driving the bus back and forth and back and forth. No, enough already with this bus. What am I doing? Okay. But, but, but the American model, European model, which one do you think produces a healthier, a, a, a better adjusted person? What do you think? I would say definitely the European model because I feel that um, the uh, commitment to doing work and being productive is really not genuine. That basically... Everybody has to have some kind of ideal. People would basically wither and die psychologically if they sat with their beer all day and they had all the money they needed to eat all their snacks in front of the TV. They would die. They have to have some kind of ideal. So what we do, either we have some kind of transcendent religious model, which I'm fortunate to have, which gives me almost a prepackaged ideal that I can relate to, or we produce one. So as far as I'm concerned, work ethic work productivity, and even some of the uh, secular humanistic, I would say, um, humane endeavors are just made up because we're looking for something. And we know that in some cultures, they come up with something that's as bizarre as you can think of. This is what I stand for. I stand for hurting people. I stand for power. Nietzsche, if there are quite a few people who came up with these ideals, false ideals, and then there is a, the truth of science or the prevalence of, of saving the planet. Or, or I, I'm not sure what it is. So I feel that insofar as there is a subtraction from this artificial structure, from my perspective, there's some sense for people to be in touch with themselves and maybe get in touch with what's more meaningful to them, something that's not forced upon them artificially by society. So I think someone who works or somebody who works all day and really believes like uh, religiously in Donald Supra's understanding of man will feel that he's ultimately he's uh, achieving nirvana. He's doing exactly what he's designed to be he's accomplishing his purpose. I think most most people are not that uh, simplistic and naive and they realize no matter what I say at the end of it all new. So I made more money. So I fixed the, the, the computer system, new, new asma. So at least when they get back to non-pressured existence, they can touch on things, okay, my relationship with someone is important, my un self-understanding if you're kind of a, uh, you know, okay. somebody who so, now so, five days a week, etc. So, So you're saying the European model, uh, if I understand you correctly, which is more time off, more paid leave off, and again, it's been legislated in in most of the European Union as as, as a, like you can't you can't uh, push against it. Uh, you could you know a company that doesn't afford this, uh, I guess, would be uh, fined, and and you could bring the authorities against them. Uh, uh, living in a European lifestyle where you're going to take thirty days off for sure, uh, maybe even let's longer. Not, let's not forget. Let's not forget the siestas. 
that used to be so prevalent in Israel and is still around in, in various South American and, and European countries, that is a lifesaver for quite a few people from their own perspective. They actually get to go home with the people they are close with, have lunch, maybe even take a nap, and then go back and work like a, like a dog until seven or eight. But that, that forms almost like a place to hang your mental sanity onto. Right. So in other words, you're seeing it, that model, you're seeing it not, not, not so much in terms of what some of these studies show, that it makes a more happy, productive, better worker. In uh, uh-huh. terms, terms of their, the quality of their work becomes better because they take the time off, but it allows them a different window into another part of themselves that can be more the real self as opposed to, mm-hmm. even though in terms of time, they're still more <laughs> at the office than they are on vacation, but the real sure. them can uh, flower when they're on vacation. And therefore- if, if, if only they have some contact with what they assume is the real them. I mean, I have no idea what the real them is, but what they assume, that's enough. It doesn't have to be real. So as long as they think they're tuning to something that's intrinsically, quote unquote, important. Right, so you you realize though, Sam, you are very proud and 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 properly about your job, right? Because your job is 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 an intellectual one. Your job is a job that has changed things. You have done groundbreaking work. People realize how important what you've done is. You know the people that you've helped. The jobs that you were talking about, the ones you were referring to before, whether it's being the IT guy in some company that's a billing company to make sure everybody, you know, is paying or making sure that the bus, you know, is, is, is on time when there's 800 other people that could do the same thing. I think it's much harder um, to feel that, that sense of this is my life. I, I think that, you know, you're sort of cheating here in some way, because on one hand, go ahead. I want to be a, a little bit self-cynical, and I want to say that a lot of what you're attributing to my satisfaction or whatever, I consider phony. In other words, what I really appreciate is I, I have this, this uh, fantasy that I'm truly interested in truth and that I'm chasing that. A lot of what I've done that you consider commendable, which will be con- commendable, I think, by people who are less analytic or more simpletonish, is doing good, helping people and whatever. That's not really been a goal of mine ever. When I went into the helping professions, I went in there to understand people. My first choice was to simulate human thought on the computer without any application whatsoever. And I can tell you that I railed when my department decided to come up with the mission of what is psychology's mission? And I said, psychology's mission is to understand how the mind works and what the nature of subjective reality is. I didn't really care. Calling the helping profession is just a way of saying, and how will you pay your mortgage? So I had the first time I had an offer by IBM to sit in Colo and just produce papers on what I'm thinking every month. And I decided that's not gonna cut the bill. So I got my training and I spent time helping people, getting, but. If I had a chance, I would drop all that and go back to analyzing. And that's what I did. I enjoyed diagnostics. That's what I enjoyed the, the, the fees that I get for it. But basically, I'm figuring things out. I'm coming up with a way of understanding things. So in truth, no. All those stuff you said, I would consider to be ancillary. And something, it does satisfy me 
on a, shall we say, on the basic level, because despite my pretensions to be this big intellectual, I'm a guy underneath that enjoys helping someone, and I feel pain when somebody gets hurt, but I wouldn't call that real, because I don't believe that's the basis of reality. So I'm being a little bit self-cynical there. Okay, look. So I don't think I'm in a different boat. I think I drive a bus too for a good part of the day. <laughs> I see. Okay. But my point is, is that I don't think you have to look in the mirror and, and feel embarrassed uh, and feel that... Of course uh, not, especially because my mirror is not always in front of me. Sure. Yeah, right, right. Well, whether it's uh, whether it's literally there or not, and, and whether it's the abstract or the practical, look, I know what you mean. That uh, the reason the reason why there's funding for the abstract is because of the practical applications. All right. Okay. So you know, you we need the abstract thinkers in order to to do sort of distill from the abstract idea the differences that it's going to make for the patients. And I think you know, just realize for me it's precisely the opposite. I'm using that as a cardam lachperpa. I'm using the practical as a way of saying, okay, I'm established and you can't budge me and I have tenure. And now I'm going to go off and do research into what I really care about. Yeah, yeah. look, I don't know. You still have to pay me. Okay. I'm not sure how your your mentor and um, I guess role model uh, thought about that. Is that the way he thought about that as well? Uh, Professor Siegmund? No, he he thought that the real truth is science. And that science is the ethical goal of everything. And now it's knowing things are important because that's good. And I'm not up to there. I'm saying it more subjectively. That's what lights my fire. And that's what I think is at the basis of it all. But I don't think there's anything better about what I do than Okay. All right. I, you know, I'm well, I, I'm almost regretting, you know, my excursion into you particularly. <laughs> but, okay. but, my, but my point is, I think that we, I think you will both agree that even okay, we have the vacation. What's the binary? Vacation. We're off. We're doing stuff that's not connected to work. We needed that time off, whether it was at a beach, a seashore, a mountainside, etc. But what we go back to afterwards isn't necessarily as um, it, right. It, it, it's in many ways a um, a. It, it's a letdown. It's a letdown. Yeah. For you, it's a letdown as well. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Let- not. I mean, to all the practical things that I have to do, yes, it's not a letdown to be able to go away from the place I was vacationing at and immerse myself in the, in the theory. That's fine. But the other stuff is a letdown. I wish I. I wish I wouldn't have to do that. I wish I could just sit there, shifty beves Hashem. I'm sorry for the sacrilegious um, analogy here. Kali mechayai, do that. Sure. Well, so so let's assume America isn't changing. You know, I don't know why. Maybe with Biden and some more liberal-minded uh, legislators, the, the, we're going to be moving closer to the European model. There's going to be a pushback because you know <laughs> it's going to lead to lollygagging and a lack of real activity. Um, Let's let, let me take it from the society to the uh, personal. Let's go to another place that you have uh, quite a bit of experience in, which is in the relationships between couples. Okay, I'm going to, you know, from my perspective, I, I urges where the couple um, and and one one part of the couple says, I need to go away from the children and from you, and I've got to be away by myself for a couple of days. What would you say, again, there's obviously a lot of other factors here, 
do you see, is, is, is there some red flags there? What do you think? This is, I mean, this is a big bite you're taking and um, I will try to attack it from various points. My, my first basic answer is yes, it's a great idea to take a break, always. And I think it's important to take a break from your relationships and it's important to take a break from yourself because you, know, you yourself can be as stifling to yourself as your relationships can be. So, so, so here's the general formula. Let's talk about relationships and forget the, the other aspect, which we can leave for another time. Um, putting any two people together, you can't have a perfect match. There is, it's very multidimensional. I, I mean, I, I paid a good part of my mortgage doing not only personal diagnostics, but couple diagnostics. And when you get into that, the first thing is it's so multidimensional that it's almost hard to process what's going on there. There are various aspects in relationships that um, are extant in, in, in daily um, couples functioning. Okay, not in family, just couples functioning. And coming up with a match where everything matches, first of all, it's not a good idea in terms of complementarity theory, which I think we talked about once. But second of all, it's impossible. You can't have a match. So if you want to have a relationship, it's basically a compromise saying, okay, these are the things that are important to me. These are less important. But whatever is less important is still going to keep bugging you because the inadequacy is there. So the question is, can you renounce that aspect of your self-identity or your desires or your wishes or your fantasies? Or can you not renounce them? I emphatically, knowing that you know my mentor and you know my where I come from, the answer is no, you can never renounce anything. Nobody ever renounces the feeling. So the question is, how do you deal with it? You need a safety valve. You need a, a, a way to let off some steam. So it makes sense to say, tell your spouse, okay, we are 65% consistent with each other or 45% or 22%. I'm sure that the, the uh, compatibility threshold is much less. It's probably in the 20s, something to make it adequate because they're just too many combinations. You can't have something that fits all of you. You have like 250 aspects. It doesn't doesn't click. So yes, so we're going to make this work together. It's But we understand that some things, I have to have some time to myself to get involved with ideas or issues or activities. And I'm not getting into like cheating yet. But there's some things I have to do because we simply don't match there. So I think it's great. It's a great vent. And vent is a negative way of looking at it. Maybe it's a great way to be in touch with yourself despite your feelings that you have higher order commitments here. So yes, I want to do X or Y or Z. I feel it's important. I feel theologically, existentially important, humanely important, but I also have other things going on. And why put that under the carpet and step on it so hard that it constantly frustrates me? The question is, does that produce a lasting effect? And there we're back to the original question you put up. Does vacation produce a lasting effect? No, it doesn't. Does it feel good while you're vacationing? Yes. Does it increase the chances that you will stay with your job? Yes. But does it then make your job all rosy? No. So does taking a break from your spouse, whatever that entails, make the relationship more rosy? No. Does it increase its longevity? Yes. That's my outline. So you believe that um, uh, couples, uh, because of, you, you called it incompatibility, or at least differences, um, they can't just be housed together and forced to sort of like confront them. Uh, it makes sense for them to have areas where they can 
escape to and 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 just revel in sort of and again using the same model to come back to the relationship stronger you're saying yes, you're not even yes. sure right yeah, no but i want to say something else not just to to have some time to themselves but have time for other relationships thursday night out at bowl, bowling with the boys mm-hmm. is a marriage saver not because you have an affair with the other boys it gives you a chance to go away i, I just want to quote something that's sitting right on my desk this is from today's times okay it's from a late this is the counterpoint to this this is from a woman it's a actually a law professor and the title is divorce can be an a radical an act of radical self-love and just listen so i'm going to read you a couple of sentences there was no this is somebody who got divorced obviously there was no emotional or physical abuse in our home there was no absence of love i was in love with my husband when we got divorced part of me is still in love with him i suspect that will always be the case i divorced my husband not because i didn't love him i divorced him because i loved myself more i think the last word there more is the problem you are in love with your husband you're also quote unquote in love with yourself which means you have certain commitments or certain parts of self esteem or self identity that are there it sometimes there is a rift between the two because it doesn't match so the question is can we short of being lara basil Bezalon and divorced my husband do i have a chance of saying okay this is working well we're raising kids we're part of the community i'm doing work i'm a great psychoanalyst i'm making a lot of money i'm helping many people everybody loves me and we get along well but if you don't mind i have the equivalent of bowling with the boys or bowling with myself there's certain aspects that you don't relate to or you don't value right. or you don't even understand what's yeah. the avenue there's nothing wrong with that and i want to just tell you that there are some people who take this even further and talk about extramarital affairs which i don't necessarily as chew from a psychological point of view although i have my own values about okay it. so that you you, so you know, know that you want to go there but that's another well, another journal uh, here well i think that as you say it is it's not only a it isn't just a strange exit to nowhere it actually is connected to the same inner um sense of frustration you know i want to quote esther pearl here um who has become a uh, a podcast queen and a, a therapist that everybody is quoting um a nice jewish girl who uh, who wrote something uh this is actually a transcript from a ted talk that she gave about 6 years ago um you know he says that uh, we have a romantic ideal in which we turn to one person to fulfill an endless list of needs to be my greatest lover my best friend the best parent my trusted confidant my emotional companion my intellectual equal and i'm it i'm chosen i'm unique i'm indispensable i'm irreplaceable i'm the one okay now she goes on to talk about this area that you just touched on which is infidelity that why infidelity hurts so much and i guess it's always hurt as perhaps but why it's specifically an arrow more today than perhaps it had been in a period when people got married out of convenience or because the marriage was arranged or it made economic sense um i just i just want to put in there my objection i don't think those things have changed i think the pain and disappointment was always there even when having a co-wife was the norm okay so please go on. okay before we go to <laughs> the co-wife before we get to infidelity and of course this is obviously very problematic from any halachic discussion the whatever worlds me and you and are from both from some ethical discussions as well yeah all right so but before we get there let's talk about before we get to bringing in another to ask themselves what is the reason you're going 
Is the reason you're going because you have different needs and they need to be fulfilled? Or are you a, or, or is part of the reason you need to go is because you need to get away from your spouse? If that's part of it, that the relationship is, 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 is I'm on edge, there's a certain tension. I just don't want to see that person. I need to get away. Again, let's say a difference between the children and their constant needs. Like in the image I said to you, six, five kids, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, whatever they are, always demanding, needing the milk, needing their breakfast, getting the lunch bag, getting to the school. That you can understand is not a break from them as, but I need to just be away from you. That that I have read is a very big red flag. That if that's what is pushing... I object. I totally object. I think it's not a red flag. It's a green light. You have to be able to admit to yourself that there are aspects of this person which are not complementary to yours. And that even though in terms of an accountant's line saying, okay, so adding together pros and cons, of course I'm going to keep this house. I, it doesn't have a double driveway, but look at everything else it has. So I'm going to keep this spouse. Of course I want to. And I actually love this spouse. And I get along with him very nicely. But that's not to say that there aren't other things that need to be fulfilled. So I don't well, see it as right, a but One second. Okay, one second. Let, let, me, let me say it better. It's not that that spouse uh, gets, breaks out in hives when they go camping and doesn't like waterfalls and I really want to see that or I like fishing and that and, 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 and he or she hates the idea of catching a wild beast and frying it on a skillet and I need to feel that because that's what I remember. It's because I'm sick of that person a little bit. I, yeah, yeah, no, no. So that's why I want to correct it. It's not just that you're after fly fishing or canoeing or sleeping with bugs. It's that I need to have some time without this person. I am a person without him or her. I have aspects to myself. And then sharing it the whole time, it doesn't make sense. Do you want to necessarily have somebody eating from your plate? No, I have my plate, you have your plate. Do you want to have somebody actually you know, laughing with you as you're watching reruns of Abbott and Costello? Laughed after. Right. You know, I, I, I enjoy doing things myself. Does that mean that I hate you or that I don't like you? No. So let's not. Okay. So you You're believe laughing it. at me on video, but okay. Yeah. I'm laughing because we had the Three Stooges and now we have Abbott and Costello. I'm waiting for the Marx Brothers and I don't yes, know. Who, who, that was who, next. Who, okay, who's coming fine. next. But here, here, here's the point. So you would say that if, if, if a, a, a person takes this vacation to get away from you too, I need to get away from you. That that doesn't mean the relationship is in trouble, and therefore, similar to where we it started, means that the, the relationship is not matching a hundred percent. But I I can tell you the, the common thing refrain. I don't remember who said this. Nobody wants to make a hundred percent partnership with a clone. Imagine somebody gave you somebody who looks just like you and thinks like you. You'd be bored out of your mind. You, that's not a relationship. That's just like autoeroticism. You don't want that. Okay, so, so of course, somebody who's different. Sometimes the differences are okay. Sometimes they're tolerable. Sometimes they're challenging. Sometimes it's, hey, I need a break from this stuff. So, 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 the, right, so the separate, so you would say a couples that take separate vacations might be a healthy advice from Dr. Sam Judy. Go, go back to your beginning. Would you say that someone who wants a vacation from work should be fired? by an employer who feels that you should be devoted totally to driving this bus or 
fixing these patients or whatever it is. No, you no. shouldn't be fine. No, so I understand the line. I, I'm drawing the line. So I understand. That's why I'm going there. But I'm, I'm happy yes. to hear that from you. And therefore, if this does occur, and if this is brought up by one of the partners and say, look, I need to get away. The other partner should understand and be loving and, and, and not say and not feel hurt. Hey, you don't want me to come with you. You don't want me on that I vacation. I would say they should also get a couple of counseling sessions because it should not grow into their mind saying if this person thinks that I'm spiteful or whatever or, or, or something to be derided. No, I mean, they need to understand that. And I am assuming, of course, that people have the same kind of exposure to psychological pop literature as you and I do. Many do not. Many would say, Ivan, whoa. Before we get to the, uh, to the taboo part of tonight, uh, I do want to say that I think that what could stave off this crisis where I got to get away is throughout the uh, give and take and yin and yang and what's going on between them to carve out uh, a places consistently. Now that's very tough in the scenario. I can be so obsessive. This is precisely the parallel of the siesta. Instead of having a lot of vacation time, have a siesta every day from your work for two hours. Right. Then go there. Have a time where you can take your um, comics or your Gemara Lahabdul or anything else, and you're doing your thing yourself without being involved with the spouse. Have time where I can do my knitting. I can do my mahjong without you. Dafka without you. Again, to, to to requote Esther Pearl, I think that part of what builds the frustration, saying I, I, I need to go away, is that it's not fulfilling this new ideal of what marriage is supposed to be in your mind. And if you do have, listen, just bear me out here. If you do have this other area of interest, mahjong, uh, sports uh, mania, or learning Gemara, being involved in intellectual ideas, being involved, having that in a way can save you from assuming that your relationship with your significant other needs to fulfill everything. If throughout your year you have that place to go to, it can actually siphon and, and away those feelings. Oh, this is my be all end all. I love my wife, my partner dearly, but this is something that's really part of what I'm doing. So that could be even, and that could bring a situation where you don't need to have this sort of radical aspect of a vacation. This brings you right to your taboo topic. Yes. So now let's talk about this. So, um, you know, we, we realize that, as you know, Esther Pearl said that, um, you know, we're, monog- we're monogamous in all the various relationships that we've had. The flip side of that is, you know, we, we are trained, especially as, 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 as Orthodox Jews, for sure, but even the American culture in general is to zero in on marriage. And that's supposed to be a commitment. And yet we find that husbands and wives, especially as they get older, um, as, as life throws so many curves and changes, there's a tendency to look elsewhere, to stray, to believe that perhaps it could be met in, in, in some other way. At least the lust in your heart, to quote the... Jimmy Carter. Okay. Oh, wasn't that was Jimmy. You're right. It was Jimmy. I'm sorry. That's yes. right. Well, look... Uh, Bill he, didn't bother with the heart. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You thought it was Clinton. 
Yes, but I'm saying it's a mistake because he didn't go anywhere. No, Jimmy Clinton was the, no, Jimmy, Jimmy Clinton, Jimmy <laughs> Carter, <laughs> Jimmy, both two Southern guys. I know you, in, in your mind, it's all people Hicks from the South. Okay. But the point is, yes. So Jimmy said that, yes, he agreed, although he seemed to have a very wonderful relationship with, with, with Rosalind. Um, I was telling you today, Wonderful Sam, relationship is an average formulation. In other <laughs> words, it's like the, the, actuary, the, actu, the actuary who has one foot in hot water, one foot in cold water. Yeah, yeah, on, yeah. The whole, on the average, he's fine. Okay. okay, right. Shmilo, I agree. The word wonderful is not necessarily, Good. doesn't go together with, 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 with two old fogies sitting there. It's not wondrous. Yes. But, yes. Um, but what I, but, you know, uh, by the way, uh, today's uh, Wall Street Journal and New York Times uh, heralded the latest, and, you know, I, I'm sorry that I have to say this, but I, I'm sure you feel the same way. Another great, a Jewish Nobel Prize winner, uh, David Julius, uh, a Brighton Beach-born um, professor out of California who did uh, groundbreaking work in terms of uh, how people feel temperature and pain and other things that I have no idea exactly uh, uh, what it really means, but I know that that his work has been cited as being crucial in understanding uh, how to treat the human condition. Um, and when I did a, a little background on him, you know, Googling him, and finding him, I see that here's David Julius married to Professor Holly Ingram. They're both uh, uh, very uh, highly uh, lauded and distinguished professors in their field, having written groundbreaking work. And I, I have this idea again of of the, you know, the, the of finding this this perfect relationship. And I'm sure it's a fantasy, but it, it, it makes for a good copy. Two two superstar minds producing that one child um, living out in California and, you know, and, and, and living this world. Um, it sounds like a rerun of Yentl. <laughs> okay. Um, the, um, I don't know if that's an Isaac Bashev Singer reference or a Barbara Streisand reference, but we can, we can, we can, Barbara Streisand. We can, we can, Barbara put, we can put them, yeah, Yentl, the Yeshiva boy, but here's the thing. Um, uh, the uh, by the way, obviously, the learning was one of the reasons why um, she was so attracted to that's what I'm saying. Andy playing your mind, but to my mind, what I'm sensing over here is such an over evaluation of academic Talmudical learning and the devaluation of everything else, like saying that's the main thing, and if only we can match there, who cares that you have bad breath and I can't stand. The way you look at things, or I can't stand your 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 pessimism or optimism, but you do know how to analyze the Tosfos, don't you? So what more can you want in a woman? Look, I think that we are not uh, as sophisticated as you think. When we see passion in a similar bottle that mm -hmm. we that we bottle our passion, we just want to break those bottles and pour the two things together. Yes. So yes. And when I see at the last few two weeks until you find <laughs> out that the person likes to sleep with the air conditioner full blasting and you're under six cups. Two weeks. Maybe. But here's the thing. Okay. Uh, we, we know that uh, we, we, we go back to the Torah's model. And the Torah, of course, uh, is very strict on adultery. Uh, the sure. Torah, we talk about, you know, Abbas Kohen, Kitecha, Liznot. You, you yeah, know, but, you, but it does, does allow the men to, to bring in some. All right. Good. Thank you for sure. finishing my sentence. Yes. But we know okay, that sorry. But we, we know that this idea of adultery is 
the scarlet letter against the woman, the woman who yes. strays, the woman is the Mazana, the woman, of course, the man who strays with her is also guilty of the death sentence. He is, uh, he has violated. But if you notice the way, I'm sorry, if I can use my biblical knowledge over here, the way the Torah phrases it is that that, that guy is guilty for defiling the woman. Doesn't say he did something wrong. He defiled that woman. That's what he gets. Right, he defiles the woman, and the Torah indicates also the 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 um, what he has done to the husband that he has. Okay, okay, uh, but look, but listen to what you're saying here, right? It's not right. like if not for those other people that he's that we're punishing him for. Look, I'm reading this very literally, of course, and, and philosophically, but it's not like how dare you have had done this. It's like how dare you have done this to X or Y. Right. So again, so as long as the husband, according to the Bible, according to the Torah, as long, you know, before the rabbis came in and clamped down, the husband can have multiple wives. And the husband also, if he deems to, uh, again, we know from Rachav, the great uh, prostitute of, of Israel, who was one of our heroes, or heroines, right? Um, Tamar, who was also acted the role, that it wasn't uncommon for men to to sure. visit married men to visit women whose purpose was to pleasure them and that didn't yeah. necessarily mean that that was grounds for destroying the marriage um and therefore you know we come from uh from from the torah's perspective where you know there the, uh, whether we call it strang or not where we see that those things were possibilities. Uh, the Torah obviously does not want to have Kadesha. The Torah does not want to have prostitutes, but they were around. Um, and uh, again, what's happened now is there has been a movement to uh, push for more open marriages uh, in order to sort of like, you know, to sort of like balance things. You've, you've uh, done couples therapy, what do you think about this? Does that it, it, obviously, from a Torah perspective, we must condemn this. This is obviously usher uh, din um, but and, and and this podcast in no way is sanctioning it, and in any way saying this is something. But let's talk about theoretically. Do you see this as a theoretical, or in the practical world where it's happening, as a salve and something that could be positive? What do you think? Okay, so I don't see it as something positive in solving any problems, but I do see it as something positive in terms of giving the longevity of the marriage a higher uh, chance. In other words, think of, I'm thinking of just, just, just schematically in terms of vacation. If vacation helps you maintain your job, then getting involved in extra relationships will help you maintain that relationship. Now, maintain the relationship doesn't mean that I will necessarily be more excited or less excited. It just means that statistically you have a larger chance of this relationship not breaking up formally, just as you have a larger chance of not quitting your job. And I mentioned before that usually the positive effects of vacation wither. They disappear on the job after two weeks. And I think that the same is true over here in terms of saying, okay, now I feel better. I've sown my oats. I've done my craziness and I can go back to doing whatever. And I can tell you, I can think of a, a, a from yeshiva guy, patient of mine who uh, finally strayed and ate chalavakim, kosher, not chalavakim. And that to him was, wow. Okay, I find, and now I can go back to being this cold guy and whatever. 
And I never told him you have to tell your wife about this or you have to tell your Rosh Hashiva about this. Fine. Did it really make a difference in terms of self-satisfaction? No. But it gave him a better chance of blasting out the ideal that he really had. His ideal was not contrived to be a Yeshiva God. It was real, but there were things irking at him, and then he just threw a bone there, which meant, okay, we can go longer over here. So in terms of relationships itself, I think that having a relationship with someone else does ruin the quality of your primary relationship. So if you're talking just, let's say, about straying without really an emotional relationship, I think it is a vent. Do I recommend it? No, because there are a lot of, not just from an ethical point of view, there are drawbacks to relationship too, because once you have betrayal in the picture, that destroys a lot of the trust that's going right. on well, to But okay, factually so speaking, it is a vent. It is a vent, and it will prolong. And I was, I know, okay, in couples that I have done diagnostics with, they never would be together. Though I know some of them had the X or Y. Usually, it usually is the woman in my case, not the man. But had she not strayed, would not have stuck with. So is that good? It depends. If you are counting, you know, uh, positives and negatives of how many uh, divorces do we have in our community, and I know quite a few religious communities that count that, that's positive, so to speak, even okay. though they would like freak out at it. Yes, it okay. keeps the relationships. Look, but, but Sam, I think we're conflating because I thought we had moved into um, open, which is where the couples are 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 are. are very okay. frank. They're frank yeah. with so each other. They're frank. Sure. They're frank with each other, and they say, "Look, I'm yeah. going to go and do this, or you're going to mm-hmm. go and do this." And I, you know, and there, the sense of betrayal, although they're still probably hurt. <laughs> why did I let him do this, or why did I let her do this? Yeah. This is not necessarily betrayal and lying. This is it's saying it's not. It's not nominally betrayal, and I can think, especially of one couple that I knew actually academically who maintain that this is the main factor that's keeping their relationship going for so long. They got along very well. And they said, this is what keeps it, because we both know that, yes, and they're totally open with each other about it, which is not necessarily... So, so they're allowed... So let's put yes. it on the table. They're allowed to have sexual relations with other yes. persons. Yes, But not, I don't know about emotional. I have no reason to assume there were emotional things okay so 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 let's let's make something let's make it this something you want to distinguish between going out and drinking the ice cream soda to actually having that third person as a permanent part of of, or emotionally fixed person right yes whoever that so there you're saying that sounds that you would say is strange to be able to have uh and, and you talked about triangulation and we've talked about polyamorous stuff here but that would mean that the couple and, and there was a, a beautiful I, I i found it moving i don't know uh it was in a new york times magazine article from a couple of years ago where uh, a woman who was actually uh realizing she was suffering from early stage parkinson's uh, went to a and her husband was the one who had been thinking about opening the relationship but she had uh had, had demurred and was against it but then when she um developed parkinson's and then she ended up going to a parkinson support group and she met another fellow who was also going through parkinson's they cre- started a relationship um, and for it seems like I didn't read uh, the article all the way through, but it seems for a while this threesome 
<laughs> was 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 out there, and they were you know, and 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 they were talking about the longevity of their relationship based on that. Um, the fact that she found somebody uh, who she could really know what pain she was going through, and 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 deal with, and text with, and constantly exchange notes, and they found that that when she came back to him, he actually was more excited about her because right. he, he he found I, that she... I have to say I'm very um, incredulous about a situation that has that kind of asymmetry where it's only one person, not the other as not evoking some real instability on part of the one who does not have an outlet. Like a feeling of no, betrayal no, it, would be the word. Betrayal would be the it, word. It, or, yeah. But I'm, actually, I'm, I'm a little bit incredulous of it, but conceptually, it kind of makes sense. Conceptually, yes. I, I should be honest that, again, in this article, which everybody can, can read, I, you know, I, I can put a link to it in our, in our descriptions, um, she actually encouraged their, her husband to also have that outlet. And yet, they, as, as the article sort of you know, scandalously, I guess, describes, here they are, clearly devoted primarily to themselves, and yet each one has this outlet, which dovetails sure. to what you're saying. Um, mm -hmm. Now, obviously, coming back to where both of us are, standing in two worlds, but clearly adhering to our principles of, of Torah and law, so if a couple, an Orthodox couple, that won't ever even conceive of anything like this, is, is there anything that could somehow um, uh, simulate or somehow help in such a situation? Because obviously say, this option isn't there. So what can they do? Yes, yes. I would say no. It, it's not there as an option. But sometimes what we consider to be a sexual force is really something else that just means I need to have some outlet and I can see and I'm not saying this it's a sublimation of sexuality I'm just saying the idea that I can have a certain interest that's mine and that I can do myself is really what's what it's after in other words when people do have these affairs in, in like in, in totally non-religious environments where they do have these affairs what's important to them especially in terms of saving the relationship is that I have something else other than this spouse, not so much that I have the sexual. It's almost that's just one of many choices. It could well have been bowling with the boys if he had thought of that, or if you know, whatever. Yeah. So, yes, so it really goes back. It really goes back to what we were, what we started with in a yeah. way, which is having the release, having that area. In this way, um, you don't necessarily feel that I'm being let down by this partner, and exactly. I need to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I'm ready to call it. I think. I, I'm not. I'm not going to quote Freud to you, but I do know what he talks about uh, in terms of sublimation of create the creative urge, and he talks about um, when in, in his essays about Da Vinci and others, uh, mm -hmm. he, right. he, 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 he Freud was fascinated by the incredible uh, creative powers that these artists had, and mm -hmm. um, he, he was almost overwhelmed by how 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 magnificent they were. And it was clear to him that what was going on was a an, a, a, a a sublimation, but an elevation. Uh, and and this really is 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 not that far, Sam, from the Hasidic idea of being able to take these these raw midos of love and 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 putting them into this incredible place. So but I guess I have to do one paradigmatic note over here. Freud is the of the assumption that sexuality is primary and therefore everything subsidiary. 
if we don't necessarily buy into that and say there are various kinds of issues and drives that push me, then it kind of simplifies this. You don't have to be as fanatical about that. Just saying, hey, don't assume that eating will satisfy your other, your other needs. There are other things besides eating. Don't assume that sexuality will satisfy or that's where it comes from. The only reason you ever go, let's say, and you have a fight with someone is because you sublimated your hunger. Well, Fafka, maybe those are needs as well. So that kind of simplifies it and makes it less, should we say, radical than Freud's point of view. I mean, I don't mind Freud's point of view. I don't necessarily agree with it. There could be other motivations. That is a major motivation, but there are others. I wouldn't mind putting creativity at the same level as sexuality in Freud, saying, yeah, there's this and there's that, and you can't just get away with doing one. In, in my, from the way I read it, and of course, I'm, I'm going to bow to your expertise, Freud was very happy that this sublimation ended sure. up producing these magnificent yes, things. Yes, he was. Yes. But in his bias, he saw it all as sublimation. It doesn't. We can come up with the same results without assuming that one is primary. I know theoreticians that say contact with God, closeness with God, is the primary motive, and that people use sexuality as a way of getting away from that. It, it's, oh. it's, it's a game. Right. It's a paradigmatic game, and the results are the same whether you choose to put the big uh, strimal on one of them or not. Right, but, but which which really means again that if we can cultivate and discover uh, that part of ourselves, uh, that we won't feel the sense of frustration or sense of betrayal or sense that we're not getting it from our sure. job or from our partner, and mm-hmm. and 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 we could actually discover something. And and, and here I'm going to quote Rav Salvechik, and the reason I'm quoting him is because I in my own way, feel the same way. Because he, when he talks about um, the, the, why he prepared so um, uh, laboriously and incredibly for his shiurim and, and, and the hours he would spend, you know, it, it wasn't that he was just you know, maniacal about uh, or getting it right. He writes about the, the transportation. He says that when, 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 when he's giving the shear, he's surrounded by people, his friends. Mm-hmm. He, he feels that these men that he is analyzing are there with him. He actually believed that they, he, and, he, mm-hmm. and his students who could sit there for two and a half hours, imagine the same thing that, and you of course were one of his students, so you know that he felt the Ramban and, 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 and the Rambam and the Rashba, they're here. And he really, mm-hmm. so what, what I would say is, is that they can actually be they can satisfy you. <laughs> this world can satisfy you on, on, on an emotional level as well. Like I want my companionship, right? The, these are my companions. Um, I, I, I even though in many ways it's it's what I write and what I think, but as we know, that could also lead to either other individuals writing to you and getting involved in a, a back and forth. But even if it's only goes as far as your notebook. <laughs> or the students that perhaps hear you, that's where your, emotion, your emotional needs can be satisfied as well, not just your intellectual sublimated creativity. And you're adding a twist that it actually is relational as well. That's my point. So yes. therefore... That's uh, profound. That's profound. I like oh, that. Oh, I'm happy. I, I finally hit profound with you. But, I'm but, sorry. But, but, but that's okay, because I feel that way. Because I feel many ways that, you know, especially, you know, in places I've lived away from the matting crowd, I can go up there and, and if, I, if, if I'm, if I'm Zoha, I'm dancing and excited 
and 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 really in love with 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 the people that I'm thinking about and and, and really believing that I I think I got them, I think you know I I, I got you you know you know uh, I think that that is something that um, in, in many ways not only does it deaden any sort of urge to stray, it outstrips you know any sort of you know the sheer ugliness and physicality that we are ultimately disgusted with ourselves. You know, if, if we all get, like you say, you don't look in the mirror. If we could imagine ourselves in a mirror, you know, being involved in this, these, these acts of lust, we would be disgusted by what we see of ourselves. We're not, uh, we're not models of, 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 of physicality. And yet this is something which I think can, um, if you can cultivate it, whether it's in whatever field it is, you can actually feel that that great sense of that emotional salve and that sense that you have, you know, you're understood in a way. You're understood and loved, and and, and you giving the loving back. Well, that's about it, my friends. I think we uh, we were able to to scale that. I think. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.